I want to start out with a simple, well, important, but still somewhat simplified understanding of what interdependence is. In the next few weeks, we'll be talking about interdependence, our connection, our relatedness on the basis of how we relate to the world, how we relate to the earth, how we relate to our own lives, where we come from, how we relate to the mystery and the meaning of this life that we are blessed to share, interdependence in all different kinds of dimensions. But today I want to start out with Bishop Tutu's words. He says that interdependence means that we are people through other people. We cannot be fully human alone. We are made for interdependence. We are made for family. We are made for community. We are made for each other. Reality is about relationship. And there's a story that I love, I think I've told to a few of you before, that kind of sums up this idea that reality is and always has been about relationship. Last week in our Easter service, in our Easter message, I brought the name Elaine Pagels that some of you know of. She's really helped to expand the definition and the understanding of the earliest origins of the Christian church, that it never has been just about what was only in the text. She says that when she went to Harvard Divinity School in the late 70s, early 80s to study, to study the origins of Christianity, what she wanted to find was something that she was not finding in the modern church. She was talking one day to a guy named Christer Stendhal, who for many, many years taught the very origins of church history, those first few decades right after Jesus' life at Harvard Divinity School. And he is a very austere, wonderful kind of academic guy, Christer Stendhal. He was once the Bishop of Stockholm, Sweden. And she was talking with him, Elaine Pagels was, and she said, I come here and I want to study the origins. I want to study the beginnings because what I'm looking for in the midst of all this incredible diversity, which is wonderful, but at the same time, in the same time in the modern Christian churches, everyone seems to be wanting to claim that they have the true essence, that they are in fact the real representation of what was there at the beginning. I'm tired of all this argument and historically I want to go back and study what was there at the very outset. I want to find the essence. And without blinking, Christer Stendhal shot back and said, what if there never was an essence? What if there never was an essence? What if there was only at the beginning relationship, relationship between various meanings and interpretations and the conversation that now seems so muddied and so diverse? There never was a time in which that conversation wasn't a part of that tradition. And Elaine Pagel says that was the moment in which she was set free. I think a lot of people might have gone to divinity school and said, well, geez, if there isn't an essence, what am I doing here? I'm here to distill things down, to find out what the starting point was and say, this is it. This is the rock, as they say within the Christian churches. This is the rock upon which the church was built. And Christer Stendhal's words, well, they just kind of shatter that walk into a million tiny pieces. But in fact, Elaine Pagels found that liberating. She found that was the start for her, not just as her calling as an academic, but a calling back into spirituality, into spiritual community, into religion that made sense for her. See, it was freeing because what she understood then is that she didn't have to get back to a starting point. The only firm point that there was, which Christopher Stendhal said was an illusion anyway, that she could start in the midst of the story, in the midst of many stories, as we are all born into many stories. We exist in the middle of stories. Some of us are starting new stories out and some of us are bringing stories to end, but they're all part of stories bigger than us. 
We come into life, we exist in life in the middle of stories, multiple stories, myths and meanings. We do not invent everything just ourselves. And so Elaine Pagels, she enters that story. She enters the story of the meaning of the Christian churches. It's the same situation we're in, trying to find where we are in the midst of stories, that there never was a time in which relationship wasn't. There never was a time in which the conversation wasn't going on. We'd have to take it back to that place in which the most simple form of life way, way back lost to us now in which life was just one simple single cell organism. At that point, there was no relationship. But that is lost to us. And at that point, we were not even recognizably human. Since we have been recognizably human, there has always been relationship. It's there from the beginning as we started to explain ourselves to ourselves. The earliest stories of our origins, the myth, the creation stories, one of them is in Genesis. And of course, I'm sure most of you know, Adam came first and then Eve. And that's the problem with the Jewish and Christian traditions is first man, then woman. How many of you think that? Raise your hands, right? First man, then woman, you know, man on top, Adam, well, you know, I guess we'll take a little rib here, get a little clay, mix it together, poof, then you got woman. But actually, it was a feminist theologian who said, go back, take a look, a professor of mine at seminary, go back and take a look, and you'll see that even there, right there, Adam wasn't Adam until there was Eve. At the beginning, there was relationship. And it's very easy to spot this, she said, take a look at the Hebrew. It's true. It is true. The earth creature, the earth creature, which Adam was before Eve was created, was an entirely different word. The Hebrew word is ish. Ish and isha. After Eve is created, they become Adam, Adam, and Adama. Yes, it's still a gendered language, and yes, it was a patriarchal kind of community, so I don't want to take that all, all off the map. But from the beginning, we become ourselves, at least in this creation account, we become ourselves in relationship, not in spite of it. We are changed through the creation of who we are. From the very beginning, religion can say that we are part of belonging and that the creativity of self and other comes through our being related. This is religion and spirituality at its best that says wherever we go, there is relationship of some sort happening in our midst. We cannot get away with it. Even if we do injury to relationship, still there is relationship at its base. Religion at its worst, however, religion at its worst forms, tries to feed our egocentric need, and we all have it, to want to say we can get away from everything else and just be ourselves, that we are entirely self-created and there is nothing that can touch us. That there is a place beyond all relationship, and here we are, and aren't we lords over all of creation? This, in sum total, is my problem with doctrinal religion. And I have friends of all sorts of different stripes. I'm not talking about individual believers right now. I'm talking about doctrinal religion and what it teaches. This is the kind of lens that Elaine Pagels went into that first meeting with Christopher Stendhal, expecting. Almost kind of like it was a mystery story. And what she was doing as a historian of the, of the early church was to find out where did the mystery story start and how can I get back to the very beginning and find out the original clues and then I will be settled enough to grow. This is my problem with doctrinal religion is that it says there is some point in which something absolutely starts. The moment before all moments. 
And if we can place ourselves in adherence and alignment with that, then we will know what God is, then we will know what meaning is, then we will know what it means to grow religiously. Religion at its most intolerant and dogmatic is actually a murder mystery. They ask the question about who injured the original tradition, who is keeping it from us, who is hiding it from us. This kind of murder mystery in its most extreme teaches that religions are divisive, teaches that religions are about separating ourselves from the world, separating ourselves from each other, separating the castes, separating those who are clean from unclean, separating those who are damned from those who are saved. This kind of relationship says at its base, we want to get away from relationship. Religion of this type is always about an argument over origins. We've heard about the pseudoscience of intelligent design, so-called, so-called truly creation science, creationism in just another form. And this is kind of the idea from those folks. And I understand the anxiety. People want something solid to stand on. If that we can plant the flag of God in the original ground of the universe and say, this God is our God, then we can stand in the original position and we can be secure kind of reminds me, unfortunately, the cost of it. I think there's an old, it might be Monty Python, but also could be Kids in the Hall sketch. I really looked for it because I really wanted to show you from YouTube, but I couldn't find it. If any of you have an idea, please tell me after the service. But it's this profile of a person who's sleeping, and all you see is sort of, they look like a giant. You just see sort of the head up in profile on the nose, and you see the person dressed like an old uh, sort of... um, Uh, Those French were the funny hats. They they all look like they were out of um, like uh, Monty Python's uh, um, Holy Grail, those kinds of things, those sort of silly hats. And someone comes along and plants a flag in the tip of the nose and says, I claim this for France. (laughs) And then a sort of English roundhead comes along, I claim this for England. I'm not going to try an English accent. I'm done. You've heard me try to do accents before. I'm not going to try it again. And someone comes along for England and someone comes along for Germany. And then, you know, the person sort of swats at their nose because, of course, They're not finding it. They're not discovering it. They think they are, however. They think they are in the original place and saying, if I own this, then it will be mine. It's kind of like what Chris Rock said sometimes at Thanksgiving time. I think it's important to recognize this. He says that saying the the Puritans discovered America is kind of like walking over to your neighbor and saying you discovered their backyard. (laughs) There always is relationship. And unfortunately, at our most egocentric, if we had entered a place for the first time, we think that if we got here first, then we got here best, and best equals most power, and most power equals most privilege, and then we can say, we are the ones who are the true inhabitants of the land, the meaning, the tradition, the scripture. This is, I think, a divisive way to live. And it is not based upon an understanding, as Bishop Tutu talked about, of interdependence, of the fact that wherever we go, there is relationship. As Unitarian Universalists, we do not insist upon this kind of absolutism, on a purity of our origins against contingency. That's a word a lot of religious traditions fear, contingency, because it means we came about by chance or perhaps touched by something impure. And I love the Latin word for what contingency means. It really gets to the heart of the fact that coming from someplace isn't a bad thing. The Latin word for contingency means to touch, to be touched. I want you to think about, just for a moment, think about what that greeting was like. Think about the hands, think about the hugs, think about the handshakes, think about approaching each other. 
It is wonderful to sort of stand up here Sunday after Sunday and witness what that looks like and feel what that comes from. And that comes out of your touching, out of your embrace of each other. There's nothing negative about it at all. It's wonderful. Think about, and I've never been there myself. I know some of you have. Think about the top of the Sistine Chapel. Michelangelo's rendering of the hand of the divine touching Adam. That it was what it means to be contingent. What it means to be in relationship. And we know that there is no wisdom untouched by human hands. Instead of being corrupted by touch, our wisdom, our tradition, it is shaped by human hands. This kind of interdependence, this kind of understanding of relationship. When we live this way, we shift our lens, our perspective upon the best way to live a life. We shift from a very egocentric way of looking at life as command and control. What can I command? What can I order according to my will? And what can I control so that it comes out to the end that I would desire? That is not an interdependent way of living. Interdependence asks us instead, instead of command and control, it asks us what can we have compassion for and what can we care for? Not command and control, but instead compassion and care. This is a model of living that I believe betokens a new kind of spirituality a new kind of religion, just coming to be, and we're part of that here at Wellsprings, a kind of religion that we would like to see more of in this world. And it asks us not, were you there at some point in the past, an adherence to that rigid dogma, to that doctrine that was pure at one time and has now been corrupted. I love it when Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirrers sing, were you there? Do you know that old gospel hymn? It is unbelievably beautiful. I just want to drop to my knees and weep when I hear it. But I think as religious liberals, the question is less, were you there? The question goes, were you there? Were you there when they crucified the Lord? It's a beautiful hymn. But I think as religious liberals, we have a different question to ask. Not so much, were you there, but are you here? Not were you there, but are you here? Are you here now, awake, alive, in the midst of this life that we share together? Are you here in the midst of relationship, not shutting down, but opening up? Are you here? Unitarian Universalism, one of our principles, talks about respect for the interdependent web of creation of which we are all a part. Respect for the interdependent web of creation of which we are all a part. David Bumbaugh, who is a Unitarian Universalist minister I respect a great deal, talks about what this interdependent worldview really means. He says that because all things impinge and touch all other things, everything matters. Everything matters. Interdependence challenges us to understand the world as about relationship rather than rigid hierarchy. In an interdependent world, every decision, every relationship has significance for every other decision and every other relationship. This is why I think Elaine Pagels found this empowering rather than shutting her down. Because we recognize how important our human agency and our understanding and our compassion is for each other. Because what we do matters because we are not just self-contained. Now, unfortunately, in the past, we've come from a tradition that has insisted almost sort of stamping its feet in terms of independence. Emerson's great work, self-reliance. Self-reliance, don't listen to, I mean, this is sort of a bastardization of what Emerson said, but I'm going to give you the less than 15-second cliff notes. Don't fly anyone else's flag, fly only your own. Be self-reliant. 
Don't listen to what the fads or the others say. Come to your own understanding. And to a certain extent, I agree with him. We all have to have our own understanding, but that understanding emerges out of our relationship with each other. But truly, Emerson knew a deeper wisdom. I think it's interesting that probably when I first read Self-Reliance was about the same time that I was reading Nietzsche when I was 18 years old. And I really wanted to be the author, absolutely, of my own existence. I was deep into independence. No one else tell me what to do. I am going to author my own values. Emerson knew a deeper truth, though, when he had happened to him what perhaps is the most difficult thing that can happen to any parent when he, belo- when he lost his beloved son, Waldo, to death even before he reached the age of 10. And he wrote a beautiful poem called Threnody that really shows that even beyond self-reliance, there is a deeper call, a deeper call in this life. He says, wrote, Will thou not hope this heart to know what rainbows teach and sunsets show? The verdict which accumulates from lengthened scroll of human fates, voice of earth to earth returned, prayers of heart that inly burned, saying what is excellent as God lives can be permanent. And I love this last line. Hearts are dust, hearts' loves remain. Hearts' love will meet thee again. This is not a dream of his own personal immortality. It is the hope that at the end of all existence, there will be reunion of relationship. That what was once whole will be made whole again. And I think he really sums it up in this line. Life is beyond self-reliance ultimately. Yes, we're born into a situation of dependence. And yes, as we grow, we have to learn how to be independent. But the true mature person knows what it is to be interdependent, to exist in healthy relationship, to know that we are acted upon and so we act upon others. And that is why everything matters. He says in reference to his dead son, the greater fate that carried thee took the largest part of me. We are not alone. The greater fate that carried thee took the largest part of me. We do not exist and we do not grow by our own in this life. This is why one of our core beliefs, one of our core convictions here at Wellsprings talks about ripples of connection and reads this way. We believe that each of us yearns for connection with each other and with the sacred. We are mindful of the choices we make and know that our freedom reaches its fulfillment in connection with others. Like a pebble dropped into a pool of water, we do not know how far the ripples of our action may reach. See, that's about freedom too, not freedom from. Freedom from is good. I don't want the government messing a lot of my stuff. That's good. But it's not enough if we're going to grow. There is beyond freedom from there is also the kind of freedom to. Freedom to love because we know each other. Freedom to care because our lives are connected. Freedom to grow because the common wisdom that we hold together is more than what I could just hold on my own. All of us, as the cliche goes, and it is absolutely true, all of us are smarter than any of us. All of us are smarter than any of us. Everything we do and everything we know comes from some place. We touch each other, 
We grow with each other. And I saw a funny example of our social connectedness last Sunday. Teresa and I were leaving here and we had to stop off to pick up something for the Easter dinner that we were making. And so we went to the Super Fresh right down here. And we pulled into the parking lot. And frankly, the parking lot was not all that filled up anyway. And as we pulled in, I almost pulled in because, you know, I'm not a cat. I'm not going to park in a handicapped parking lot, you know, the parking space. But right next to it, there's a place that says, you know, reserved for expectant mothers or for families with small toddlers and children. I almost pulled in there. Come on. Come on. We could walk a little bit more. And many of you know we had uh, uh, Duop, the Easter bunny, in the car with us because we were taking her back home after, after Duop made her annual appearance at our Easter service. And so I stayed in the car and Teresa went in. And so we were right next to, right next to that space reserved for expectant moms and families, toddlers and small kids. And a teenager pulled in there and didn't give it a second thought, just put the keys right of the ignition and walked right in. I said, well, okay, even if I tried some kind of positive shaming, as they say, even if I tried to have eye connection with him, he wouldn't pay any attention anyway. Eh, it's all right. Next, a woman pulled in in a mammoth, mammoth SUV. And she saw that the space was reserved for expectant mothers and families with toddlers. And then she saw that I was looking at her. <laughs> and she pulled in, and then she pulled right back out. <laughs> it doesn't end happily, sorry folks. She pulled back in again. <laughs> and she parked. And she looked at me once more. And I wanted to do just a sort of little social experiment, and so I didn't, I didn't do that. I wanted to. Inwardly, I was doing that. A little positive shaming, never a bad thing. Positive, positive, you know. Social constructs matter. There's a reason that that space is reserved. It's Easter Sunday. You can park someplace else in your mammoth SUV. She chose not to, and she was, you could tell she was coming from Easter service. She was dressed to her nines. She got out. She looked at me once more, locked her car, and ran right inside. The point is that she knew I was there. The point is that she was aware that there was social convention. The point is that she was aware she was breaking relationship even as she still did it. Interdependence is a fact. Whether we choose to honor it or not, well, that's why we are all gathered here to encourage us in this way. In the last few decades, we have seen our consciousness absolutely shaped and expanded because of this understanding of our interdependence. From the charting of the human genome to just a few decades ago, the understanding that power plants in the Midwest could bring acid rain in the East. Things do not stay on their own. There's a law of unintended consequences. Nothing's meaning is absolutely fixed forever. Now that's part of the negative stuff, the acid rain. However, interdependence also can liberate our lives to realize things that we could not have become if we stayed by ourselves. I love the way that the poet Rumi put it. He said, a wall standing alone is useless, but three or four walls put together, well, they'll support a roof and keep the grain dry and safe. When ink joins with the pen, then the blank paper can say something. Rushes and weeds must be woven to be useful as a mat. If they were not interlaced, the wind would just blow them away. We become something more, something wonderful, 
something gorgeous and new, and not just new, but also useful when we rise up together and know that we are a part of each other. It is not that generation to generation things are just the same under the sun. They're not. But still, everything comes out of relationship and putting things together as perhaps as was the law of our land 50, 100 years ago. Some people were not allowed to marry and still some people are not allowed to marry because we have the understanding things that certain things don't go together. We can see, however, that when we open ourselves up in relationship towards each other, We recognize that we are so much alike, that our sames go so much deeper than our differences do. This is a liberating insight, a liberating insight of interdependence, that we don't have to go back and find some time of imaginary purity that never really existed, that we don't have to look back. To me, sometimes the problem with dogmatic religion is that it always feels like it's looking over its shoulder. Back there, back there. And I better get right with what happened back there so that when the big day comes, the judgment day comes, because I was right with what happened back there, I will be right with what will happen up there. Rather, we should seek the question, are we right with relationship here? Are we right with relationship right here? We recognize that relationship is where we come from and to where we are going. We, like Elaine Pagels, can be freed, can be liberated. The song we're just about to sing from the Indigo Girls. I'd always really wondered what this phrase exactly meant, but I think they're talking about interdependence. They sing, the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. The less I seek my source. She doesn't say she's on her own. She doesn't say she's alone. There is a source. The less I seek my source for some definitive. In order to grow, I don't have to know absolutely. In order to grow, what we are called to do is care, to have compassion, to awaken. And then we become closer to fine. Because when we live this way, we realize that life is not a mystery story to be solved. It is not about following the clues back. I love the old Sherlock Holmes stories, but that is not what life is about. Not a mystery to be solved. It is a gift to be treasured and shared and nurtured and to be held in stewardship so that what we pass on is stronger than what was given to us. The world waits for us to live in this way. The world cries out for us to live in this way because we see what happens when we live in the other way. From that egocentric place, from that place of holding on so tightly, of becoming attached to the few things that we think are only ours, that we lash out at life because someone we feel is threatening to take them from us. Their life is a zero-sum game and interdependence calls us to another way of being human. We recognize that life is not the mystery to be solved but a gift to be treasured. We are free to no longer focus on just what we can control or think we can control because control, we ultimately know, is illusion anyway. But instead we center ourselves on our intentions. Instead of knowing what's going to happen, we practice that fuller mindfulness of entering that deep current of life entering it and honoring the relationships we find there and honoring our own lives as well too. Not to rush ahead, not to look back. It's like the philosopher Alan Watts said, no one sings a song to get to the final note. No one sings a song to get to the final note. We sing the song to sing the song. We sing the song to sing the song. We live the life to live the life. We awaken in order to awaken. 
And so we take it note by note. We sing as best as we are able to all the way through. And then hopefully we get a chance to sing another song after that. That we are blessed with the opportunity to keep on singing. So this day I invite you to join your song to the larger song of life. To find your place in the relationships that you most honor and to recognize that there are other relationships waiting for you. Relationships that we all have yet to awaken to. Because the song, in fact, has been waiting for us to sing. In fact, the song and life itself is never finished, is not complete, until it searches out and it finds our voice that it has been waiting for as well too. And then we're just part of the chorus. And that is good. Amen. May you live in blessing.